It's the book of Jude from the Living Translation. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace and love. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. They have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire, and serve as a warning, the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their tribes live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuked. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. So they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead. For they bear no fruit, and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen. 
The Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desire. They brag loudly about themselves. They flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. Follow their natural instincts. They do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them in flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hitting the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. We pray. Our Heavenly Father, please open your word to us. Whatever's just from me, Lord, may the wind blow it away. Whatever is from you, may it stick in our hearts. May it grow to your glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, folks, you might think, why on earth? Are we looking at Jude? Well, for as part of our Restore 2023 of reading through the scriptures, it means that you go through some books that perhaps you wouldn't choose as top of the list, but actually, when you look at it, it's amazingly uh, pertinent to where we are. We have been called to live for God in a time like this. You might say, well, Mark, I didn't ask to be a follower of the Lord Jesus in a time of rampant lies. Well, I'm sorry, you don't get to choose where you follow God and where you walk with him. We're here. It's not new, the idea of lying and disinformation. There was a definition of a diplomat as someone, a man or a woman, who sent abroad to lie for his or her country. And haven't politicians always been like that? 
Well, to some degree, but I think you've got to admit it's a bit of an art form these days, backed by huge amounts of money and influence and disseminated by mass media and social media. It's all around us. You might still say, Mark, is this really what should we be talking about this morning? The Middle East is on fire. Our government is stumbling. There's dreadful need all about us. Next slide, please. Well, yes, actually. Truth is the first casualty in war, isn't it? Many of us have difficulty believing much that our leaders say. And the poor, the vulnerable, migrants and disabled are having shocking lies told about them. We've been called to the kingdom at such a time as this. How do you live for God's glory in a world like that? Please. Well, you don't have to be gullible for a start. Being easily led is not a fruit of the Spirit. God has given us our minds and he intends us to use them. He's given us the scriptures and he intends us to use them. He's given us his Holy Spirit to teach and encourage us. And he's given us each other as encouragements and as a sounding board. If we don't understand something, we can bounce it off each other and chew it over together. And he's given us church leaders and prophets to shepherd and guide us. So it's not as if God has left us on our own to deal with this. Next, please. And it's not exactly a new idea, is it? Lying is a very ancient thing. And there's more to it than that. There is supernatural evil behind many of the things in this world. Jesus called him the father of lies, didn't he? And said he was a murderer from the beginning. Because Satan uses lies and half-truths with malevolence, he hates God and he hates what he sees of God in you. But we should not be afraid of him in any way because the Holy Spirit is in us and he is so much greater than Satan is. Next, please. Oh, back one. And again. And again. Um, we seem to have missed a slide. Can we go forward, please? Okay, go back to where we were a moment ago. Oh, on and again. Okay, the Lord really cares about truth. You might think, well, what's the worst thing you can do in this world? And we might discuss that. But do you know something? Top of the Lord's lists are a proud heart, a lying tongue. He who stirs up trouble between brethren. Perhaps not the things we would have chosen, but they really matter to God. And, you know, from Proverbs, it says, The Lord detests lying lips, and he delights in people who are trustworthy. Every word he speaks, his reputation is behind us, behind it, and he wants the truth in us. Remember David saying in the Psalms, Lord, you want truth in the inward parts. Christianity is not just the product of our fer fertile minds. 
Christianity is God coming to us, reaching out to us, rather than us just reaching out to him. Christianity and Judaism are a revealed religion. That is, it comes from God. It's not just something our minds have made up. And that's a pretty important difference. Because if we were just trying to find God with our own minds, why then it would be difficult to criticize each other, wouldn't it? Because they would probably equally be valid. But it isn't like that. Christianity is revealed to us. We get our truth from God. And again and again in the scriptures, doesn't it say, if only my people would listen to me. It's something God speaks to us. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, well, since in the wisdom of God, the world with all its wisdom didn't know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who will believe. Next, please. Seem to have skipped another one, but let's go with it. So then, who is this guy, Jude? Well, Jude or Judah was actually a pretty common name. He was the brother of James, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was, James was the head of the Jerusalem church. He wanted to be known just as a servant of Jesus Christ, because there isn't a higher honor in this world. We don't know much about him. He's probably mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about the brothers of the Lord taking wives with them on missionary business. His writing is often grouped from a commentary point of view with James's and Peter's letters. And the date of the letter, probably around something like 60 to 70 um, AD. Next, please. If you can see that small writing, you have excellent eyesight. If you don't, of course, you need to go to the nearest optician. So the death and resurrection of Christ were around AD 30 to 33. Jude, the brother of Christ, well, we think he became a believer after the resurrection. We don't know much about this period in between, but the traditions that we have and the writings elsewhere was that he was an itinerant missionary, he probably wrote his epistle between that time and 2 Peter also comes up about that time and indeed some of the things in both sound similar. The Gospel of Mark was produced about that time. It was a rather challenging backdrop. One of you seen the film I, Claudius? Wasn't exactly a nice guy, was he? In fact, he was horrible. Um, he was until his wife poisoned him, at any rate. And then she put her son Nero on the throne. You know about Nero. He paid her back for the favour by having his wife and her killed. He took his own life not many years later. And at AD 70, as you know, Jerusalem was sacked and there was terrible trouble. So the background of all of that, Jude writes to these people. Next, please. And he says in just a few words some wonderful stuff. Who's he writing to? Well, we don't know exactly the group of people he wrote to. 
But actually, this is pretty generically applicable to all us. He said, what's true about you? You're called by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're loved unconditionally by God the Father. You are kept safely by the Lord Jesus. Mercy, peace to you, love to you. That's wonderful stuff, actually, isn't it? We tend to gloss over the introductions, but it's great stuff. He said, I wanted to write to you about our salvation, but events have overtaken us a bit, haven't they? Next slide, please. There have always been two main ways the evil one has harassed the church. Now, we know very little about external trouble in this country for our faith, but the majority of believers in the world could tell you a thing or two about it. Many Christians in Jude's time, including several of the apostles, round about now, were being martyred for the sake of the gospel. Did this break the church? No, it did not. Jesus said he would build his church and that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. It did spread the church far and wide, and many heard the gospel as a result. False teaching? That turned out to be quite a problem. Satan tried to fill the church with lies and falsehoods, preferably containing as much of the truth as possible, but enough to make the whole thing a lie. Because the, the evil one does know that the truth sets God's people free. And his reaction to that is not if I can help it. Next, please. Now you might say, hang on a minute. Do Christians agree on everything? Uh, no. If Christians can agree on so much and still be together, who am I to say, well, which of these is right? Well, it's not so difficult, believe it or not. Because Christians do agree on the essentials of their faith. The idea of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, God himself, come into the world, who gave himself for us, was crucified, raised to life again, and he's coming again. Did that sound a bit like a creed? Now, okay, the major creeds were not now. The Council of Nicaea was around 325 AD. Chalcedon... 451 AD. So this is a long time before that. But yes, there is such a thing as truth. We can be kind and generous to each other in smaller matters. But some things are really important, and that's what made the creeds be written. We wanted to codify the crucial bits. You might criticize bits of them, but they did a pretty good job, actually, of, just, of putting out, well, this is the important stuff. And most of them, actually, were dealing with the person of the Lord Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? And so on and so forth. So forth. You can think of creeds as a line in the sand. Next, please. But do people see things through different lenses? Yes, of course they do. We should distinguish core Christian truth from other things that perhaps we believe, not because particularly they're in the scriptures, but because of our culture, the story of our denomination, other history, or tradition. As I say, tradition is peer pressure from dead people. Now, it is not that things that are traditional are necessarily wrong. 
Many of these things were developed by our brothers and sisters in Christ and to address a particular thing. And they may have got it right, or our circumstances may be significantly different and no, they're not, um, they're not really applicable. They're not scripture. The Protestant church in particular has a genius for splitting up. We do the Lord's Supper differently. We do baptism differently. How come things like that, which were meant to be wonderfully unifying, end up being used to push us apart? Though on the central parts of the faith, firmness. On more secondary matters, grace. Next, please. The Apostle John had a lot to say about discernment. And he talked about how do you know real Christianity? How do you know good teaching? And he says three things, really. And as you read at 1 John, it goes round and round a little bit. But these three things stand out. Firstly, what do they say about the Lord Jesus Christ? And indeed, if you talk to people who come and bang on your door, who may be Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or other things, ask them, tell me what you think about Jesus Christ. It sorts them out so quickly. They will say, oh, he's a really good man, or he's a really good prophet, or this and that. Will they say, my Lord and my God? No. And secondly, do they confess the Lord with their lives? If they're saying the right things, but they're living immoral lives with no concern for what God says, you've every right to say, hang on a minute. You don't look like Jesus. Should I be listening to you? And the third thing is they love their brothers and sisters dearly from the heart. They're not out for themselves. These are three marks of the real thing. Next, please. Now, many things you hear don't stand up to scrutiny. As we've said, it's not good to be gullible or unthinkingly accept everything you hear. Because if a preacher is a man of God, he'll be delighted if you go scuttling back to the scriptures and look and say, are these things so? Okay? For you to say, I'm going to take this to the word of God. I'm going to pray about this. I want to know if this is really true. And the business of a preacher, indeed, is to build bridges between where you are and what the word of God is saying. To get them to take the scriptures into their heart and soul. Now, even if you're not a believer, there's some good things you can ask. Next, please. About incoming information. Whether it's Christian, whether it's secular. First of all, where does this come from? Is this a trustworthy source? Does this person know what they're on about? Or is it some far-out person on YouTube? Who does this come from? What do they like? Honest, real, kind, reliable? Do they love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this a recent thing, or someone just hashed it up from the past when it was of interest? Is it relevant at all today? Does this make you think hard? Does it rock you back on your heels? That may not necessarily be a bad thing, but do think carefully. And indeed, is there any evidence at all to back this up? It's extraordinary what people can declare and will be believed, even if there's absolutely no evidence for it. 
And do I need to go and talk to someone about it? Next, please. So what was all this about? Well, these false teachers were saying, um, you know what, it doesn't matter really much how you live. It's, if you like, uh, more like Plato, really. The idea of the mind, the spirit is everything. The body is nothing. It's hopeless. It's just an encumbrance and so on. And you know what? God forgives sin. Sin is to do with the body. And why worry about it? Because he'll forgive you anyway. And indeed, if you sin, you give God a chance to show his grace even more. And this pops up in other epistles. You remember that Paul in Romans 6 says, Shall we sin that grace may abound? Of course not. We died to sin. How can we live like that anymore? And Paul writes to Titus too, Turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness. Next please. So if you apply our questions, where does this come from? Look it. Where does it come from? From godless people, Jude says, who live immoral lives. Is this a recent idea? Well, no, it's as old as the hills. Read the story of the people of God and see how they were often of the mind that, well, you know, God's our Father, we're in covenant with him. Things will be all right, no matter what we do. Next one, please. Forward, please. And again, and again, and again. We've just been through Jeremiah, haven't we? Do you remember all these false prophets? They were everywhere. They grieved Jeremiah, they grieved God. They did awful damage to God's people. Falsehood is a big deal. Now, we are responsible for what we do, what prophets, prophets say to us. But God takes a pretty hard line with false prophets. In a sense, it's a serious thing to be a preacher, to get up and speak in God's name, when actually you haven't sat in his presence, you haven't heard his mind, and what you're saying is just coming up from you. False teaching grieves leaders too, doesn't it? Because they care for the sheep and false teachers don't. Next, please. The Lord Jesus spent a little time seriously warning us against false prophets, didn't he? He actually said, despite false prophets, you endure. You keep going with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, when he was admonishing the elders at Philippi, he said, take great care that you don't end up as a wolf yourself. That's possible. Right, so next please. So how do you spot one of those? Oh, it's quite a nice picture. Next please. Jude gets descriptive. What do false teachers look like? They look like this. Sheep look like their shepherd. Does this man or woman look like Jesus? Believers will manifest some of the fruits of the Spirit. Are they in it for themselves or for the Lord Jesus? Do they transparently love the Lord Jesus? Being a liar, a hypocrite, being devoid of humility are not signs of being a sheep. Next, we 
go back one. I think we've skipped a couple again. Forward, please. Okay, so God cares about what his people look like. The reason, or one of the major reasons, that false teachers are really bad is because they lead God's people away. They lead them to be sinful. They lead them to not look like their Lord. And God really, really cares about that. He wants us to manifest himself to the world round about us, through us. You might say, well, why on earth would he choose us? And the answer quite simply is he did. And this is what he wants. And Jude gives a couple of examples. He says, don't forget, don't forget what's in the scriptures when God's people decided they were going somewhere else. Remember what happened to the Israelites who had seen so much through the Red Sea, pillar of cloud and fire, all these things. And then when the Lord said, go into Canaan, they said, no, we're not. Remember the fallen angels who decided that they weren't going to do anything that God wanted. They're going to do what they wanted. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, who just couldn't care less what they did. They didn't care what God said. They didn't care what God wanted. God judged them. Next, please. And then he got a long list of things that false teachers look like. Now, if you can see this, it's, you've probably got six, six visions. Not too bad, is it? They're blemishes at your love feasts. The NLT has got, they're like reefs that you can get wrecked on. They're shepherds who only feed themselves. Remember Ezekiel and others said, woe to you shepherds of Israel, only feed yourselves. They're clouds who do not produce rain. In the Middle East, this is a huge deal. You only get rain for a small part of the year. If rain doesn't happen, your crops don't happen, your animals die, you're in a terrible mess. So when Elijah went to Ahab and say, no rain for three years, that was pretty cataclysmic. Autumn trees, no fruit. No fruit of the spirit. Frothing waves, throwing up dirt. Do you remember Isaiah? The wicked are like the troubled sea. Can't rest whose waters throw up mire and dirt. Wandering stars, no light of their own. Next, please. Are there particular types? Well, Jude mentions three, like Cain. Unbelief, jealousy, hatred, murder, no humility. Balaam, greedy, money-focused, known as a curse for hire. Desperate to be known as a great man. No desire to glorify God. And you'll remember the Lord took him down with a donkey. And then the Korah. Why, Moses, do you think you can lead all these people? I want to. You're, you just can't deliver. I can. You heard that sort of thing before. No thought or reverence. Next, please. Because... What do all these people not have in common? Humility before God. And you know, that is one of the most reliable indicators of a person who knows God. Because you can't be full of yourself and full of God at the same time. 
The evil one, the one thing he will never, ever do is be really humble and say, I will put God in his rightful place. Never, ever, ever. Now, Christian humility, as you know, is not putting yourself down all the time and saying you're hopeless, you're useless, you'll never be anything in the faith and so on. Rather, it's putting Jesus in his rightful place and everything else gets sorted out then. So if you've got someone who loves and honors God, people who are quite happy to be nothing if Jesus is everything, that's reliability. So I'm wrapping up. Courage. Next one, please. He puts a simple action plan out. He says, remember, you were warned about this. It's not as if the scriptures are not saying, take care. Remember the apostles' teaching. The New Testament wasn't written by and large when this was written. But all the traditions already having come down through the apostles and so on, remember. Think of each other. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Live in the love of God. Be tender and kind to sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. But model the love of God. Be gracious, be full of mercy and grace, like God is. Next, please. And this isn't just to us individually. This is to us as a community as well. Our identity personally is in Christ, but also as a community. Together we discern. Together we pray in the Spirit. Together we build ourselves up. Together we live in the love and grace of our Heavenly Father. Together we reach out in love and mercy to others. When the evil one looks at Cairns Road, he should see a line of shields all up next to each other us standing shoulder to shoulder, and he looks at that and thinks, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do with this lot? You know, when they will be like that together for God. Next one. So God hasn't actually left us to find our own way in this world. He's given us so many things. His word, for one thing. We should savour you want something sweet? Read God's word. Even when it rebukes you, it'll be sweet. Commandments? You know, they're good. Remember David's Psalms again and again. You know, I love your commandments, Lord. They're clean. They're good. They're righteous. They make my heart glad. And God's saying, take it into your heart and your mind. The more you remember, the easier it is to be prompted with something from the scriptures. You don't just follow the sheep. You follow the shepherd. He really does go us into this world by his Holy Spirit. He gives us his word to spread wisdom and light amongst us. He's given us each other for encouragement and help. Jesus said those who follow him won't walk in darkness, didn't he? Last slide, please. Two verses for you to take home. There is brightness in leading people in God's direction. Take it as the flip side of false teachers taking people astray and causing damage. 
there is light in leading people to the Lord Jesus. And it says those who lead many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. And as you go into the week, turn this over in your mind. Your word, Lord, is a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. Let's pray, shall we? Father, help us to navigate this coming week, we pray. Help us to hear you oh so clearly. Help us to store your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Help us to discern, Lord, for ourselves and for our body here, what is from you and what is absolutely not. Lord, help us to lead people to you, not away from you, by what we do and say. Lord, come and reign in our hearts this week. Let everything we say and do be a light to the world round about us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.